1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. Hello, my name is Jake and Orton, and this is Peculiar, because church people are weird. And we are rolling. Hey, everyone. So, I mentioned last week things are going to be a little bit different. I actually have with me today, over video call, which you don't get to see because this is audio. <laughs> Uh, I actually have a guest with me for the very first time on this podcast, episode six. We are starting our Peculiar People session. So I have with me today someone who gets to introduce herself. Who are you? What's your name? And why are you here? (laughs) (laughs) Who gets to introduce herself? Well, hello, Peculiar listeners. Um, My name is Bethany Roberts. I am... A resident of Missouri, um, currently studying as an English major, so getting into all that good literature, fun stuff, um, as a member of Apostolic Revival Church. All right. Not just a member, you're getting the, you have more inside insight into the way that place works than a few other people. Yeah, you could say that. I, I jokingly tell everyone that I do everything but drive the church van. So, um, I work as um, praise singer, keyboardist, and a teacher, and we're currently working on some curriculum at our church. So that's fun. And you're also you also could ask at any given moment and just like eavesdrop on your pastor dad's conversations. <laughs> I don't eavesdrop. <laughs> pastor dad conversation but uh, he can gladly keep those <laughs> pastoral conversations are right. all of the level but when, yeah. whenever needed i can come join in so. okay yeah so just so you know we pastors kids do not actually eavesdrop occasionally no, no, we may accidentally crazy. hear things we may accidentally hear things sometimes but for the most part our parents do not tell us your business <laughs> this is true. Very, very true. Yeah. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, so the core reason that we are here is I said I would like to make sure that I'm talking to people that are who they are and don't care to let everyone know it. Like, there are some people out there, and I, I mentioned it in episode one, the fact that... Um, the the fact that there are some people that you would not know that they attend church unless they specifically told you or you just happen to be like, what? You? Really? What? Right. Um, this is kind of dedicated to the fact that if someone is into churchy things, um, a whole lot of times you're gonna know it. Uh, so if you don't know it, that's probably a. I, I'm not gonna say anything too much, but if you don't know it, it's, um, what what's the point of it? I'm talking to the people that 
there's something definitely different about you. So has anyone ever told you there's something different about you? <laughs> Many times, actually. Um, I, I have been asked by people at school. Um, I've been told by many groups of girls at school, like, wow, you always look so fancy because you're wearing skirts all the time and you always have your hair up or like, wow, your hair's so long. Um, and I've had people at school who probably have never met what we would call a holy roller in their life um, ask uh, things like, I don't understand why you're wearing like skirts and dresses all the time. It just blows my mind. And whenever I'd say, oh, it's just part of it, they'd say, part of what? But yes. And I've had people demonstrate that I did not look or behave exactly like them by having them do things like change their less than favorable music that was playing across the room and things like that. So definitely gotten some treatment like that. Okay. So. We've talked about the music on here before. Uh, what would you answer someone if they continued to elaborate and say, um, part of what about the dress? <laughs> Could you elaborate? Well, what would I tell them if yeah. they asked what I meant? Yes. <laughs> well, I would explain that it's, you know, my go-to explanation is that no one in my life has ever told me that I absolutely have to wear a dress or else I'm going to burn in hellfire. The way that we explain it is, um, like, not to step on toes, but the way that we explain it is that your skirt isn't what saves you. It's an outward expression of an inward change. Outward so, expression um, of an inward that I choose to look change. Different. Yeah. You know, there is a song about that. I choose to be a Christian. Mm. <laughs> I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go any deeper in that. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. Anyway. Also, one more thing. You said a word. I'd like you to elaborate on said word. Uh-oh. What is a holy roller? <laughs> I know that this is a yeah. word imposed on people for the most part. For the most part, this is a derogatory term, but some people wear it as a badge of honor. Some people wear it as a badge of honor, and some people use it uh, as a derogatory term for Christians that are highly dedicated. So depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> Okay, so why, where is that coming from? <laughs> so where does Holy Roller come from, right? <laughs> so I feel like in terms of it being derogatory or a badge of pride depends on the person who is receiving it more than the element in which it's used because, you know, if the Bible says that we are a peculiar people, I'm sure you've never heard that before. Um, no, I'm totally but, not six minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, it's totally, um, totally not promise you that we're, I'm not going to intentionally go long today, but in the course of talking between more than one person, sometimes things go off the rails. I will try my best to keep you all here for less time than is necessary. Um, <laughs> uh, 
or for exactly much time as is necessary. That's the better way to put that. <laughs> Not less time than necessary. Uh, but I don't plan to hold you all here too incredibly long. So I'm going to get into the predetermined topic of discussion. So hopefully you're a bit more comfortable with our guest here today. And now we can try to get into this. And I've heard this question posed a lot when it comes to church and religion. Is there only one possible right way to worship? Is there only one right possible way to live for God? Is there only one possible God? Okay, that's our topic today, and that's incredibly heavy. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredibly heavy so um how do you want to handle this today do you want to go ahead and just say what you got for us or do you want to uh just talk it out s slowly over the course of time how do you want to handle I can this go ahead. i can go ahead and bring some point in but i'll go ahead and introduce the point and then it should be open for discussion okay cool cool it's not only a heavy topic it is a very 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 detailed, very long, extremely expansive topic that would take a lifetime of studying to be able to even try to explain. Yeah, um, yeah just within Christianity itself, thing. yeah, by the way, just within Christianity itself, there are 300 different branches, and we're not going to hit all of those today. <laughs> yeah, whoever's listening and, like, hyperventilating right now, because, oh, no, a lifetime in, in one podcast episode. No, it's fine. <laughs> all of human history. As a disclaimer. All, all of human history. <laughs> yes. The entire experience of human history. So, normally what you'll hear, um, what I've heard reading a book uh, that I highly recommend, um, The Reason for God by Timothy Keller. Um, I've heard that in multiple bueno. settings in basic conversation, day-to-day -day conversation. I've read it in a book, and I've heard it in uh, my college classes. Usually when everyone enters the whole, is there one true religion? Can we actually do that argument? They like to explain the story of the elephant and the blind men. That's their go-to argument. Yes. And so basically, for those of you who may not know, um, the argument is that people like to tell a story of an elephant that's standing on the side of a road and these blind men are walking by and the elephant's like, yeah, it's okay. They can investigate and try to figure out what I am. And so the said blind men come over and try to figure out what this elephant is. One blind man grabs the elephant's leg and he's like, wow, this creature is long and sturdy and thick like a pole. And his friend who's grabbing the elephant's ear says, no, this creature is expansive and like very flat like a pancake and still another blind man that's grabbing the elephant's tail says no this one's kind of like short and it's kind of fluffy at the end like what are you guys talking about and so everyone likes to say that religion is the elephant and that we're all blind men just trying to figure out what an elephant looks like what does religion look like what does god look like and so they use that as an argument to say, well, we could all be explaining the same God. We could ex be explaining one guy from different outlets. Um, but Timothy Keller 
himself, I will pull a direct quote from him here. I'm citing him here, so that way you are not charged with plagiarism on your platform. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Timothy Keller raises a very beautiful point, um, and I quote, This illustration backfires on its users. The story is told from the point of view of someone who is not blind. How could you know that each blind man only sees part of the elephant unless you claim to be able to see the whole elephant? Um, later on, he says, how could you possibly know that no religion can see the whole truth unless you yourself have the superior comprehensive knowledge of spiritual reality you just claimed that none of the religions have? And, of course. <laughs> so, yes. Go yeah. Ahead. Keller raises the argument that, you know, if we're all blind men trying to figure out one religion, who's to say that one of us was finally able to see what makes you more enlightened than the rest of us. Um, and myself, building off of Timothy Keller's quote, would like to ask who, even if this person was a seeing man, um, who is to say that the seeing man actually saw one giant creature with an elephant? Because we have seen, as literature <laughs> students, as people who have heard stories our entire life, we've learned that deception is extremely easy. And if a group of men can hide inside of a wooden horse <laughs> for a Trojan War story, then surely what we say is an elephant does not necessarily have to be an elephant. What we say is one true religion. Uh, what everyone wants to say is different people studying the same God with different characteristics. Um, who's to say that that's not, you know, just the blind leading the blind? Yeah. As such. So, I, I heard it put this way. Uh, uh, one thing I really enjoy about this same thing is you hear the complaints about, okay, I have issues with God because how could a loving God allow suffering? He said, okay, cool. You know the only reason you believe in a loving God. This is from that exact same book. Uh, the only reason you believe in a loving God, which that was pretty much a foreign concept until Christianity, <laughs> until Judaism. Uh, until that happened, everyone believed God must surely be vengeful and all you could possibly hope to do was appease him, not that he would love you. <laughs> so that's a very Western idea to think God has to be loving because they overseas they have issues that God could be loving because a whole lot of them believe in the shameful all of that uh, God is here to smite people <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I, in fact I've heard people say I couldn't possibly believe in a God that would forgive genocide <laughs> uh, if you believe that God could forgive anyone then I can't believe in that God so a whole lot of us like to put our own personal preferences in there. We we like our own personal preferences. So, uh, as the quote goes, there is none so blind, to go off of the story, <laughs> as he who will not see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, anyway. So, in your... In our conversation leading up to this, you talked about what you believed a whole lot of this could be. Is there one true story? What's your view? Right. So Obviously, I, I know your view to some degree because you're 
you opened it up. <laughs> but <laughs> right. So as a Christian, um, as a Christ follower, as a lover of Jesus and a doer of His word, I obviously wholeheartedly believe that the Bible is um, the perfect and infallible word of God. That it is true and right and holy. Um, but in terms of, you know, why do we have so many denominations? Why do we have so many religions and yada, yada, yada? Like, you know, how can so many people, you know, because I'm not the only person who believes, obviously, that um, the Bible is true. There's many people, many different denominations who would say the same thing. Um, but there's, again, very expansive and broad topic. Um, there's a, a whole history of people who have attempted studying the Bible, and there's many layers to this. First of all, we are currently in the year 2022, and Americans, and I don't know about you, but I can't really read ancient Greek or Hebrew. There's so, a few people who can, and I applaud them. <laughs> yes, and so as people who cannot read the original language... Um, on top of the amount of work that it took to string together and make sure that the Bible is arranged, as people who can't read the original languages, we have to rely on translations. And as someone who is also currently learning another language, I can 100% verify that whenever you are translating between languages, it's never a perfect um, translation. It depends on you know, what time period are they in? You know, who's the people actually doing the translations? What are their personal biases? What do they want to communicate? Those are all very um, driving factors in that. So first of all, the actual text that we're reading, um, and I'm not condemning one translation of the Bible over the other, but I'm just saying that there are some that are word for word, some that are paraphrasing, things like that. Yeah. On top of that, whenever people come to share the stories of the Bible way back whenever it was originally written. Um, you could say that to some extent, whenever it comes to developing other religions and other ideas, I like to generalize it by saying, oh, it's pretty much, you know, huge game of telephone <laughs> is what happened um, for quite some time there. Because yeah. as a student, yes. Uh, okay. Sorry. Uh, just one thing that I, I find very interesting here is um, in the first century AD, we have do unto others as you would have them do to you. Uh, and then in sixth century BC, we have do not do to others what you do not want done to yourself. In Judaism, in 10th century BC, there was a rabbi who said, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the entire Torah. The rest is commentary. Go learn it. In Zoroastrianism in the 12th century, we have human nature is good only when it does not do unto another whatever is not good for its own self. Hinduism in the 13th century, do not do to others what ye do not wish done to yourself. This is the whole Dharma. Heed it well. So yeah, huge game <laughs> of telephone calling oh, yeah, on. Very good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. So another example of things that it's not quite so a huge moral parallel. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but stories. yeah, okay. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Get excited there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah this is this is 
a fun, like, nerding out topic, too. Um, so in terms of, you know, just misinterpretation getting things, and we've explained it in classes at church before. If you were to go to your youth group and say, all right, everyone write down the story of Cinderella, and all those people turn the story in, you would not have the same story. Because no. everyone remembers it differently and says it differently. So same over here. There is what um, scholars and what have you refer to as the flood narrative. So that may sound a little bit familiar to you if you have spent any time skimming the first couple of chapters of Genesis or grown up in church at all. So the flood narrative not only appears in Genesis and the Hebrew Bible, but it also appears in other texts, most notably the Epic of Gilgamesh, which um, this may sound controversial, but like, bear with me. It's not. Um, because as soon as you say, well, this one was written down before the Bible, everyone goes, no! But listen, here's what I mean. Just so the, in terms of the development of written language from oral tradition, which is where, you know, people didn't always know how to write. They didn't have pen and paper. They didn't have a written language made up. No one said, hey, we need an alphabet. So for years and years and years, people carried stories and information by just simply telling it to each other. Grandma told her daughter, who told her daughter, who told her daughter. Um, Grandpa told his son, who told his son, who told his son, and so forth. And so that's how they carried information. You can imagine that information it got misconstrued. There was some misinterpretations mm -hmm. happening. So, if you look, um, according to, um, according to a text that we have read that I personally used in my studies, um, the Epic of Gilgamesh was carried around for, not exaggerating, hundreds of years, just by people telling it by word of mouth and sharing that story until it was written down uh, in cuneiform, which is whenever they still wrote with tablets and, like, flat edges and all that. Yeah. Um, so Gilgamesh is this epic, which um, is not a biblical story. <laughs> it was written down, <laughs> no. physically written down before the Hebrew Bible was physically written down. However, if you read through the epic of Gilgamesh, you will encounter a point in the story where Gilgamesh is trying to go find eternal life for his friend Enkidu. And he hears of this man named Utanapishtim that people tell him is an immortal because he's the only person who survived a great flood that wiped out the rest of humanity at that point in time. Who does that sound like? So, Probably one of Noah's sons. <laughs> so in going to find Utanapishtim, um, Gilgamesh finally finds this dude. I'm not even going to go into all he had to go through to find it. But... <laughs> Um, after venturing and venturing and venturing to go find Utanapishtim, um, he finally hears Utanapishtim. I just really like saying that name. So Utanapishtim. Um, <laughs> I feel like I said it wrong. Utanapishtim describes the flood that he experienced to our beloved hero Gilgamesh. And he explains that for a certain span of days and nights, that there was a storm and the waters were flooding and whenever he looked out and the sea was calm he also sends out three birds three which birds. are a dove a swallow and a raven and whenever they didn't return he knew that it was safe to get out of his boat 
and he offers a sacrifice to the gods, and then the gods promise to never destroy the earth with a flood again. Incredibly, now, incredibly similar. <laughs> it sounds a little bit like this guy. I don't know, but you may know a guy that kind of fits the story. That, that almost was a pun, I feel like. <laughs> it, was, it was directly a pun. Now, <laughs> tradition plays in part in terms of things getting a little bit misconstrued um is there anything else that you would like to add to the oral tradition or a telephone theory <laughs> well obviously um you you know people say that eyewitness testimony is only really good when there are agreements agreements um for one thing let's just hit on within the Bible, there's this one particular section where the same story is told four times. <laughs> the same story is told four times in the first section of the New Testament. The same story is told four times. And several of those have slightly different details. The important element is where they agree and there are very few points where they do disagree. People say, well, one of them tells a story about a man being killed by Jesus. Uh, it tells a story about a man being killed by Jesus. And it says that one version says he sent his servants to go and ask Jesus to heal his uh, servant who was laying sick in bed. Another version says the man came to Jesus personally. Which one's right? Well, if you look at the way old stories were written, uh, they would a lot of times just simplify the story by saying that someone did it personally and didn't send someone to speak for them. It's just the way that people tell stories. I mean, how many times have you said, actually, even within this conversation, we could, so one person could say, Timothy Keller said, or one, another person could say, Bethany said, Timothy Keller said. Which one is simpler? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. One version says that the disciples came to Jesus and said, we have five loaves and two fish. Another version said, there's this kid here with us that has five loaves and two fish. Which story's right? Both of them. <laughs> one is just saying it a lot simpler than the other. And uh, even in reality, real world, not in written ancient stories, how often is it that you were telling a story and someone didn't absolutely correct you because you didn't happen to say that they wore a purple sweater? Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say they wore a purple sweater. Can't say that that's happened frequently. Yeah, I, I, or, yeah... It, Stories, you know what, you get the ballpark, sometimes people are satisfied. Sometimes people are like, oh, there's absolutely no way, because this one said this and that one said that. I don't know. I'm just, I feel like I'm ranting here. <laughs> no. In terms of the Gospels telling slightly, so the Gospels seem to vary more in detail. Um, but in terms of the actual context... Was his name Noah? Was his name Econopishtim? Did he offer a sacrifice to God, or did he offer a sacrifice to God's plural, or did he send out yeah, uh, um, 
all this and this. So it, there's like well, so many. Here, here's another interesting thing on the bird detail. Uh, there's a lot of times where you realize, uh, do, do you realize that apparently doves are pigeons? You don't, when, not, when you hear dove, you picture white, peaceful bird. When you hear pigeon, you picture gross birds in New York. <laughs> uh, or cities across America. <laughs> Pigeons and doves are the same type of bird. But birds? A lot of people have different words for birds. Yeah. I don't know. It's just something I thought was interesting. But a swallow, a, a raven, and a... Yeah. It's just people... Yeah, but... Yeah, you know what? That's a, a guy talking about a man he talked to once. Yeah, some things might be different. And also, we've got our personal biases there. If we believe in gods, we're going to say they prayed to the gods versus a singular god. Uh, for example, there's a lot of Christians that do this in the New Testament, or in the Old Testament. The story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar sees in there that there is a fourth man in the fire. And he says, and the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. But us our, us with our Christian looking back at that thinks, oh, that was Jesus in there. He didn't say son of the gods. He said son of God. No, that's actually not what the Bible says. The Bible says, son of the gods, because it was a man who said, that guy looks like one of the gods. <laughs> it's not necessarily Jesus. It could be an angel <laughs> in there with him. And he's just saying, that ain't human. <laughs> that ain't human. That Let, let me southern, let me southernize it for you. <laughs> okay. Um... Yeah, we put our own personal biases onto what we hear a lot of the times. But our core question is not necessarily all that. It is, what if we have it wrong and this is all one thing at the core? Yeah. What if we have it wrong and it's all just one thing? We all worship the same God or there are multiple gods or the Christians are just wrong. <laughs> question yeah what if we had it wrong and they're all the same thing what if we had it wrong and they're all the same thing and we really are just blind men with an elephant <laughs> yeah so how do you address that well not sure that i've had to yeah of so. course yeah so what if we're wrong um there, there is this way that I have po seen this post in the past. If you die a Christian, oh, yeah. if you die a Christian, how will you be remembered? If you die as a Christian that followed the Bible uh, and followed the teachings of Jesus, love people, go the extra mile, don't start, don't start a bunch of mess with people and be respectful and honor your father and mother and leave an inheritance for your children and 
at the worst, you may be remembered as judgmental by some people because you held people to a higher standard. At the worst that's going to happen if you're wrong is you'll be remembered by some people as judgmental and others as a good father, husband, mother, uh, whatever you may be, a good neighbor, and State Farm is there. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, you, at best you'll be remembered as good. What if you're wrong about, what if you're wrong and you aren't a Christian. This is my argument here. This is the way that I live it. This is the what I think. If I'm wrong, well, at the worst, some people might remember me as judgmental. Uh, if, and then I see if I have it right and I don't live this way and I live like someone who thinks that the Bible is wrong... The worst that can happen, well, the Bible says that those who are not saved by Jesus yeah. uh, have, well, someone said hellfire a minute ago. <laughs> who could that have been? Yeah. Okay. Um, so if the Bible is right, and it really is so. That the reason that some people got it twisted was that they misheard someone, misinterpreted something over the course of years, and the reason that some things are so twisted out of proportion. But what I find interesting is this. on the, I'm getting to, re, to the Christians having different beliefs. I'm getting there. But I, there's something else here. Um, there is something else here. Um, there are three groups of people who still believe that there's only one God. There are three groups of people. What do they all have in common? I would say that they would all have a certain man that we know in common. <laughs> Father Abraham had many sons. That was actually in my notes as well. Yes, so expound. Yeah, this really old guy in common <laughs> that made a mistake. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, can you expound on that before I start uh, ranting again? <laughs> right, so um, would you like me to read a direct quote or just give a quick Go, Bethany Roberts do, translation recap? Do you think? Do you think? Right, I trust so, you. I trust you.
he had no son, so he said, yeah, no way that this is going to happen. So and at the age life, of roughly 86. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere around there. It's kind of a, it, was, it was not possible for Abraham to have children at that point because of his wife, who was also very, very much past the age of having children. So Sarah, as a human, says, Yo, Abraham, I can't give you a son. Here is my maid, Hagar. You two can have a child. Because that was the thing that they did back then. And so, after taking it into their own hands, um, Abraham and Sarah arranged to where Hagar has a son named Ishmael. And basically, Sarah and Hagar have a bit of a falling out. And um, God extends his grace towards Hagar and also promises that Ishmael will be fruitful. And he will have many descendants. Just as Abraham and Sarah's actual promised child, who we see come into the story later, once things happen the way that God wanted them to, um, they have a son named Isaac. However, both Isaac and Ishmael had many children (laughs) and nations that we may or may not recognize as Judaism and Islam. And then later on, Christianity, whenever us non-Jewish Gentiles enter the picture. But yes, Abraham has quite a notorious backstory that many people are at least to some extent knowledgeable of. Yeah, because uh, the believers in Islam believe that Abraham, uh, believe that they are the promised children of Abraham, promised by their one God that it is their destiny to have all the promised land that we now call the Middle East. In the meantime, the Jewish people believe that It is their God-given promise to have all the land that is known as the Middle East. And if you're wondering why people have been arguing for the last 70 years, at least, within the eyes of the media, that's why. (laughs) Because there was this massive game of telephone going on, (laughs) Uh, and they all think they're right. (laughs) Well, can I add something to that? Yes. Go on. So I would say that the whole telephone thing sort of applies a little bit more to the actual documents that were written down. But and whenever it comes to... Yeah. Without of jumping course. straight into it, whenever it comes to modern denominations and then even back, um, I would say that in, in my eyes, denominationalism isn't exactly a new thing. Oops. Because back in the Abraham story... Whenever there's a disagreement between men or between man and God, that's usually where a pretty significant split happens. Yeah. And it lasts for yeah. a very long time. Okay, yeah. For years and years. You even read about it in John chapter 4 in the New Testament, where Jesus is at a sees a woman at a well. He talks to her. And she starts bringing up denominationalism to him and says, "Oh, well, you believe that we're supposed to that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, but we say that there's this mountain here that we're supposed to worship at, and the whole reason why is because several hundred years ago, some people uh, infiltrated different beliefs into the religion." by people intermarrying between the people who had them in captivity and the people who uh, were 
the Jews at the time who believed in God. And their different beliefs all meshed together to the point where by the time Jesus started walking on this planet, those people were the bad guys in their eyes. <laughs> well, they're wrong. <laughs> Jesus, how dare you talk to this woman, is what they were thinking in their heads but didn't say. <laughs> They thought it, but it didn't come out. It came out years later when John wrote it down. <laughs> no man dared ask. <laughs> okay. Um, so, we've got into Christianity sticking out in the midst of this Judaism thing. So, where's this come yeah. from? How <laughs> yeah. to explain how Christianity came about? In the midst of um, well, there's this man named Jesus. <laughs> right. And uh, something happened that did not go over well with the Jews. Um, Jesus went through the crucifixion and all that fun stuff. But at the time that he was walking there, the Jews weren't super receptive of him and of his works. So he said, you know what? That's okay. There's these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, who are just as loving and hungry for Jesus. And uh, I believe it was it was the story, the way that it, a beautiful way to explain how um, things kind of helped get the ball rolling, was the woman who came to speak to Jesus, and she wasn't supposed to because she was not a Jew. And um, her argument was that even dogs can eat the crumbs from the master's table. Yes. So that was, that's one of my personal favorites, illustrations of it. But to put it in very, very simple terms, at a time whenever the Jews were not super receptive or supportive of Jesus and the gospel, um, he extended his hands to the Gentiles, which, again, are non-Jewish people um that still love jesus christ and follow his ways and that's how we were able to get roped into this that's just my general introduction to it if you would like to go more yeah deeper. uh so in romans paul puts it this way he said that there was a tree he calls the nation of israel a tree and he says that us people who are not born Jews, uh, were not in this tree. <laughs> uh, we were in a different tree. And what God did when He came in and offered His own blood, His own life for us, He basically took us off of the dying tree and grafted us into by tying us up to this other tree and we got to grow with that and become a part of something we were not originally a part of. Yes. Um, so we got to become part of that. So there are, and all of this all goes back to Abraham. In fact, Jesus has this one particular verse uh, where he's talking to the religious leaders of the time and they say, we are children of Abraham. 
we are not children of the devil, as you just called us. <laughs> he, how dare you? How, how, you just called us children of the devil. You calling us liars. And Jesus said, okay, don't say that I'm great because I'm a child of Abraham. Because I, I could make children of Abraham out of these rocks right here. <laughs> So I think it would probably be easier for him to make children of Abraham out of humans. <laughs> I believe. Yeah. I'd like to think I'm a little easier to handle than a rock. <laughs> yes. I would hope so. Yeah. So. Um, anyway. So we get into, at this point, Jesus has left this earth. And then there was this thing that happened in the second chapter of the book of Acts where a bunch of people from a bunch of different countries were all in the same city because of a religious feast. If you've been listening to this podcast, you've heard this story before more than once. <laughs> um, in Acts chapter 2, all these people from a bunch of different nations are all in one place. The disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, they're all praying and the Spirit of God comes down, and the result is they all talk a bunch of different languages, and everyone hears in their own language the wonderful works of God, and they say, what's going on? Like, what's happening? What, what's going on? I thought all these b people were a bunch of uneducated ed hicks. <laughs> That's what they said. <laughs> That's pretty much what they said. They didn't use the word hicks, but... They did use a different uh, derogatory term. <laughs> Galileans. <laughs> uh, anyway, I thought these people were too uneducated to talk a different language. What's up? And he said, uh, and then another person says, uh, oh, these guys are just a bunch of drunks. They're not idiots. They're just drunk. But I, I kind of love this. This is not in any official translation of the Bible, but this was in a comic book version of the Bible I owned as a, when I was younger. <laughs> and it has a little thought bubble popping up during this scene. And he says, alcohol doesn't make people speak in different languages. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the spirit of God comes in and the, the disciple Peter stands up, he preaches, he tells them, this is the promise of God, it's for you, it's for your children, for everyone that the Lord our God will call. And here we have Christians for the first time. So that's where the message for Christians starts. That's a very important note. <laughs> yes. That it all started there. Now, if you ask the average Christian what the first Christian religion, Christian denomination was, what will they say? Do you know? <laughs> if they ask what the first Christian denomination, the average person will say... A denomination. Yes. Catholic. Catholics. Yes. And the evangelist, Lee Stone King, would greatly disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> he said I would disagree with myself <laughs> I said yes he would disagree with you because 
He says, the word Catholic means universal. So if you ask, so if you're being truthful, I am a Catholic because I am part of the universal church. Hey, and, and if you're going to say, why are you talking like that? Just Google these Stone King impressions. You'll be happy. <laughs> it's on point. <laughs> it's not as on point as some people, but I, I personally think it's good. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yes, he says, uh, Catholic means universal. I am part of the universal church. He said, oh, you call yourself a Baptist. I'm a Baptist too. I baptize the way the Bible says to baptize. The <laughs> uh, Dude, this dude, uh, 83 years old, has got some fire roasting abilities. <laughs> but, okay. So, I have this chart here that I mentioned. <laughs> There are over 300 current denominations of Christianity. Um, the first major split, according to my teacher that I had back in the day, uh, was in 431. If you ask, uh, if you ask David K. Bernard, it's a little earlier than that. Um, but the first major split happens that history records and it produces the Assyrian church. Uh, another one happens in 451 and it creates the Oriental Orthodox. Uh, around the 11th century we have the Great Schism, which created two different things between Eastern and Western. Uh, Roman Catholicism is what's considered the through line of everything. Uh... Around the 16th century, the Reformation happened, and that's with a man named Martin Luther nailing some, something on a church door, <laughs> uh, and then you get Anglicism, Protestantism, Anabaptism, Restorationism, and yeah, it gets complicated from there. <laughs> so, is it possible that all of these people really believe the same thing? Well, there's a man right now by the name of, well, he calls himself Francis, and he says yes. <laughs> Pope Francis says yes. And a lot of people agree with him. But a lot of people don't. <laughs> okay, so what do you got on that? <laughs> What do you got on that? Because I just talked for a long time. <laughs> All right. But, look, so many heavy things to touch on today. Wow. Yeah. That's why I wanted someone to help me. <laughs> right. So, my take on it, um, man, if you want to discuss if people, even within our own quote-unquote in religion of Christianity, uh, there are so many denominations that sometimes, not to offend anyone, but sometimes with so many denominations, it feels kind of like we're in different religions. But I agree. Yeah. <laughs> because if you so, go on the line from the way Catholics act in church to the way Pentecostals act in church, there are a lot of similarities, but there's a whole lot of differences. There's <laughs> Differences. Just in the way that services are handled and terms are used. Yes. 
So looking through a lot of, if we were to sit here and try to list every single reason for every single beginning of every denomination of Christianity ever, ever, that would also take a lifetime of study. Yo, yeah. However, yeah. So I'll be representing the same thing. Um, just in our explanation of God himself and of his expectations for us and of how we can make it to heaven, no, we couldn't be explaining the same thing. Um, because some people, I've heard it explained, you know, as Pentecostals, we obviously believe, um, I hesitate to say obviously because we're trying to explain it, <laughs> but as Pentecostals, we believe, you know, for instance, water baptism is necessary for your salvation and in Jesus' name. As Trinitarian um, apostolics, I've heard it explained before that baptism isn't necessarily isn't necessary for your salvation. It's just highly encouraged for something they can do as an example for other people to see, yada, 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 yada. And again, as, as oneness apostolics and Pentecostals, like we believe, um, oh, you have to receive the Holy Ghost to get to heaven, which is evidenced by speaking in other tongues. And other denominations or non-denominational um, explain that, that, no, it's not necessary, but it can happen, <laughs> things like that. So there's just so many differences, even in like, the slightest things in doctrines, but you can't, we can't have everyone be correct about the exact same Thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, and if you're coming from a Christian perspective, here is yeah. one of the most important things, in my opinion. I but I would definitely say I feel like this is biblical. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse number six, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me." That is a heavy statement, and it says a very important word. It doesn't say, I am a way, a truth, and a life. It says the, meaning only to this certain thing. It only applies to Jesus. In the eyes of Christianity, if your answer is not Jesus, you're wrong for how to live. If your answer for what I'm where I'm finding my answers to life doesn't come back to the Bible, God's word, which it says in John 1 chap, John chapter 1 verse number 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word the word was with God and the word was God. It has to come back to Jesus. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, here's how the way works. <laughs> he says, except a man is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So the way that he's applying it, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one gets to heaven except they are born again. And when Nicodemus, the man he's talking to in John chapter 3, asks for clarification, he says, except a man is born again of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's how it gets simplified down a little more, a little more, a little more. 
and it all narrows down, okay, born again of the water and of the spirit. As far as I know, I don't feel like it's very closely clarified within Jesus' own words exactly what he means by water of spirit. He says a lot of times, he says a lot of things about water saves you. He says a few things about fire saves you. And this is not incredibly clarified what he means by spirit, what he means by water, uh, until we get to Acts chapter 2. And he says, Peter speaks up and says, Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus, there's water, be filled with the Holy Ghost, there's spirit. And Acts chapter 2 verse number 4 says that when the spirit came, they spoke with other tongues. That's our take on this. <laughs> that's our take on this. So, that's what the Bible says. I've done a whole lot of talking and just explaining things on this podcast without using the Bible explicitly. <laughs> uh, just saying, okay, so here's the reason for culture. This isn't culture that I'm talking about today. This is the Bible. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, it's the Bible that says one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Yeah, it, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one so how is it that this one faith somehow says baptism is necessary and not necessary? How is it this, that this one faith somehow says that speaking in tongues is necessary and not necessary at the same time? Can of the same fountain come bitter water and sweet? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm getting riled up over here. I'm getting riled up. <laughs> Maybe just a little bit. Uh, yeah. Okay. Again. Before I, I it, keep on messing you up here. <laughs> Go on. No. Uh, to explain again, I'm a huge advocate for, wow, that's a Bible term or that's a church term. Let's explain what it actually means. And blah, blah, blah. I like putting things in layman's terms. So. Do it. Um, to, to put it as simply as I possibly can, um, and this is not as an insult to anyone's denomination or to anyone's whatever, but um, as an insult, if you look through even just a handful of some of the origins of denominations in history, you'll often find that denominations emerge whenever there is some sort of disagreement or something that someone is trying to prove. And um, it's, it's very, very easy, not just with the Bible, but with any source to pick whatever you want to use, ignore the rest, and make it say what you want it to say. Incredibly. Just that. <laughs> so that's just an extremely generalized. I highly recommend looking through yes. denominations if you have the time and resources, but I, I would not... You have saying all of them, but that seems to be a very, very common thread. Not for every single one, but to explain it in the most general terms possible, that seems to be the common thread. Yeah, one of the most interesting ones I have is this: if you have ever been to an Anglican church, <laughs> uh, that is literally the only. Okay, if you have ever been to an Anglican church. 
The whole reason the Anglican Church exists is that the Pope wouldn't let the king get divorced. You remember this uh, guy who had five different wives? Oh, it sounds a bit familiar. In, if, if, no, not five. Seven. That's the name of the musical. <laughs> I thought it was six. Six. Somewhere in that area. I, I, I'm trying to remember. Anyway, the man wanted to get to divorce. He wanted to get divorced because he liked having a bunch of wives. I don't know. He had issues. <laughs> he asked the Pope for permission. The Pope said no. So he became the head of the church. <laughs> and Anglican means English. <laughs> because. So therefore, a denomination was created that allowed the king to get divorced. <laughs> because he wanted to be the head of the... He wanted to be the boss. <laughs> yeah. There, that's the most petty one I can think of. But people have their personal preferences. They want to make the book say what they want it to say. So they do. But there's also, yeah, uh, and sorry, one more thing. There's also people who can't get past the fact that it says something. So they break off because they're like, hey, it says this and we ain't doing this. And that's where you get your Martin Luther coming up. And he said, I can't get around the fact that the book says this. So I'm going to try first to change it. And then when it won't change... I'm out. <laughs> yeah, okay. I guess I'll try and make it fit. Continue. <laughs> Continue. Oh, that's fine. Um, yeah, another example of it would be reading up on it. I was trying to think, dude, I can't explain all of, all the different denominations, but um, just explaining some of the doctrine or what have you, um, reading up on um, the history of how the Trinity, which is something we've been talking about a lot, um, uh, Reverend Stephen Gill actually conducted um, part of a symposium um, at a general ministry conference uh, here in the past couple of years, and he spoke about the history of the development of the doctrine of the Trinity, which I happen to have in my possession. Um, oh, and so hardcore. Basically, to condense everything, <laughs> basically to condense everything instead of making this a whole other podcast episode um, but as a history lesson and covering like 20 pages in one episode. Um, basically, this guy, Constantine, who was not notorious for being super morally sound, long story short, there is a conflict where they were attempting to unite Hellenism, so the Greek beliefs, and Christianity. So he had a council come together and his results of said council were that, hey, there are three beings that are divine, that we have a separate father, a separate son, and a separate Holy Spirit, and we're just going to all throw that in there. And they purposely made it so vague so that this Trinitarian doctrine could unite the um, Hellenistic culture and the Christian culture because if you say oh well there's more than one God and we're not too sure what his name is it's easy to apply that to multiple religions um, so that was just one example <laughs> it was extremely generalized my bad but um, 
that's just one example of how people have been able to be people, basically, and aim to be correct in their own personal motives and things. But it's just, again, another example of how the smallest deviation can result in so much change or division later on down the road. I heard this illustration used recently uh, that there is this one particular building. I want to say it's in St. Louis. Um, and it may not be St. Louis. I'm pretty sure it's in St. Louis. And basically, it is designed with two gutters on the opposite ends of the building. And if a raindrop lands on one side of that, it will continue down that go into the gutter be drained down into this particular body of water it will follow that body of water all the way down into the gulf of mexico if it lands on the other side of the roof and the this division point is one inch difference if it lands on the other side of the roof it will go down it will go into the gutters and then it will end up off way up north <laughs> it, it, the final resting place will be in a bay way up north in Canada. <laughs> one inch difference, one tiny decision a long, long time ago will result in completely different destinations. A one inch difference here can be a 3,000 mile difference in the end. And it all starts because of something that happened a long, long time ago. But still in the same galaxy, hopefully. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Does it matter in the end? I would say it does. Because here's the thing. In the end. Let's make this a little more simple. Languages. We talked about languages. Um, and absolutely none of us in this conversation, and the majority of people that I know, can actually read Greek or Hebrew, as we said. I was watching a video earlier today of a guy reviewing a song... Uh, one that I, I know my guest here really enjoys. Uh, it, it's kind of popular um, at the moment. It's in a movie. It's called Dos Orgitas. <laughs> um, and the guy reviewed both the English version and the Spanish version. And he was listening to the English version. He's like, oh man, this song is wonderful. And then he starts listening to the Spanish version. And he's like... Oh, wow. Uh, these lyrics are a lot heavier now. If you look at the way that these are actually translated, because when it went to English, they had to change a couple things to make it sound better musically. So you look at your Bible. English is a whole lot different than Hebrew. And on top of that, 16th century English is a lot different than 20th century English. So you're reading a Bible and you read... Words like keeper and words like 
it just changes. Thee and thou. Okay, well, thee and thou, I think your average person can probably pick up on with just a little bit of context clues, but... Begat. Begat, and there's a lot of weird words in the 16th century that we don't use anymore. But because someone doesn't 100% understand what they're reading, they can get way thrown off. I think one of the most important things, and I'm going to wrap up with this because I feel like we've been going way too long here. <laughs> uh, this is heavy. This is a big deal. Um, there's a story in the book of Acts. A guy is on a chariot leaving Jerusalem. He's on in the desert and he's reading the words of the prophet Isaiah. And one of the followers of Jesus by the name of Philip comes up to him and says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how could I possibly understand this unless someone explains it to me? What's this guy talking about? What's this prophet referring to? Is he talking about some other guy or is he talking about himself? And Philip uses that passage of scripture and preaches to him about Jesus. So what I guess I'm trying to say is this. One of the most important things you're going to find. I got two things for you that this story tells us. First of all, you need to be reading this for yourself. And second of all, once you get questions... <laughs> Ask them. <laughs> because if that man had just been reading it and saying, oh, this is about Isaiah. He would have been like, um, great. So this guy that's dead now died a horrible death. He was beaten. He was, uh, he was beaten for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. And okay, he died. Uh, the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. That sounds hopeful. That sounds great. But I don't know how to apply that to my life. But then this guy named Philip come up and he said, yeah, please explain it to me. And by the end of that conversation, he says, hey, there's water here. Can I be baptized? So what I recommend is find someone and ask them, can you explain this to me? I'm going to link an, I'm going to link a website here. <laughs> uh where you can type in your address and it will tell you where to find someone who can actually explain this to you in a way better than we can. Or, or, or better yet, my email is linked in every single one of these. If you just want to hear a familiar voice explain it to you. <laughs> so, uh, or better yet, there's a lot of stuff you can do. Just find someone. So does it matter in the end? I would say yes. Spoiler alert from the beginning. Most likely you had that idea that I was going there. <laughs> so yes, I think it matters. There's a book out there called Doctrine Does Matter. Um, it It might feel heavy to you. Because it's written by a really, really smart guy. Smart guys write heavy books. Yes, they do. Uh, both philosophically and physically. <laughs> yeah. 
very much true. <laughs> Your back can get straight thrown out by a semester of books written by smart guys. Amen <laughs> to that. Uh, yeah, I am carrying around too many of them now. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, so yes, it matters. A hundred percent matters. And it all comes down to this, though. Uh, what was that verse that I'm quoting in Isaiah 53? He was beaten for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of his peace was laid upon. Uh, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes that we are healed. Peter, or not Peter, Philip went on to say, yeah, there's this guy named Jesus. He came to this earth. This is about him. He was crucified. But three days later, he rose again. And the Bible don't actually say what Philip said. I'm just saying that's probably what I'm going to say tomorrow night when I preach off of these verses. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to be preaching tomorrow night, and I actually preached a message off of that very recently. I will also link that in the in this podcast where I preached it very recently at our church. Um but yeah, Jesus was he died for us. He rose again. He said that and after that he ascended into heaven. He told them, "Go wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father," which was his spirit coming back as I've told you a lot of times on here. And it's available to everybody. And he told us how to do it. We need to be. We need to repent. We need to be baptized. Going into the water is what it says that that man that was with Philip did. He went into the water. And Philip called out the name of Jesus as he went down. Mm. Musicians, please come. <laughs> uh, as he went down, he was baptized in the name of Jesus. And that promise of the Father was available to him right then and there to be filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. As the Spirit came upon him, it gave him power that he too could go on and be a witness. It said he went on his way rejoicing. Okay. Do we have any final thoughts? <laughs> I believe we have. Yeah, I know there's a lot. I know there's a lot we probably didn't even get to. Because uh, this is a big one. Very, I feel like very I talked very. a lot. I feel like I talked more Thank than I you. needed to. Yeah. I feel like I needed to. I talked more than I needed to. But uh, I said I was going to try to keep this under an hour. I didn't keep this under an hour. But I'm not going any longer than this. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in. Talk to you guys next week. I've actually got another guest lined up for the next week. <laughs> so I think you will probably enjoy that. Uh, I hit on it a little bit today. Uh, but I feel like we're going to hit on it a whole lot more. Uh, we, we talked about does denomination matter? And we said it matters. And But we said we're not going to go too deeply into why right now. Uh, into all the different things that there are out there. I feel like we're probably going to hit on that a lot more next week because we are going to be talking apologetics with my good friend, Joshua Pearson. I believe you're going to want to tune in for that. So thank you all for tuning in and we will talk to you guys next week. Goodbye. <laughs>